Hello and welcome back to the Middling Along podcast. I'm your host, Emma Thomas, and before I introduce today's guest, please allow me a minute of blowing my own trumpet because this week I discovered that Middling Along had been voted one of the top 25 podcasts for midlife and menopause by the Latte Lounge, featuring up along with big hitters like The Shift, Postcards from Midlife and even Louise Newson herself. In other news, I have revamped my newsletter, The Messy Middle, covers all things perimenopause, midlife and optimising our brains and bodies for a longer, healthier second half of our lives. So hop on over to middlingalong.com to subscribe now. Okay, I'm delighted to welcome today's guest, journalist and author Rosamond Dean. Former deputy editor of Grazia magazine, she's the author of Mindful Drinking, How Cutting Down Can Change Your Life, and her latest book, Reconstruction, How to Rebuild Your Body, Mind and Life After a Breast Cancer Diagnosis, is described as a pragmatic but positive handbook for anyone navigating a diagnosis of primary breast cancer. Welcome to the podcast, Rosamond. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So you were diagnosed with breast cancer end of 2020, beginning of 2021. And in case anyone out there has forgotten, we were in another COVID lockdown at the time. Uh, We probably blocked it from their memories. It all seems like a very weird parallel universe ago, but it did happen. Um, You talk about your diagnosis at the start of the book, but can you talk us through it a little bit? So how does it feel when you get that life-changing news that so many of us dread? Wow. It's really interesting, actually, because of all the moments throughout my breast cancer treatment, the diagnosis probably was not the worst one. I know I've I've since heard people say the diagnosis was the worst moment of the whole thing. I it hit me. I I thought I'm gonna. This is it. I'm gonna mm. die. This is how I'm gonna die. And I actually didn't have that experience. I, I mean, obviously it was horrible and scary and upsetting, but I didn't have that you know, visceral. That, that kind yeah. of knife edge fear that some people report. I I kind of thought, right, this is, um, it's breast cancer. This is, uh, yeah, this is what Kylie had. It's like totally survivable. I'll be, I'll be living my, living my best life like Sam Taylor Johnson in a few years. That's very zen of you. I really, you might say zen, you might say naive because I, because I had no Uh, idea. There's a bit of shock and sort of surreal kind of like a bit of out of body. Is this, is this actually happening to me? Is it, you know, you're kind of maybe a bit sort of slightly looking in and having this out of body experience of like, oh look, there's Rosamond being given some shitty news. (laughs) Exactly. It was it was partly shock, I think, and also partly d- denial mm. and partly naivety. I I just I, I had no idea what. Obviously, I mean, if you'd have asked me, I would have said, "Yeah, I know cancer treatment's hard. I know it's really brutal." Mm. But I had no idea of the reality of going through five months of chemotherapy, mastectomy, surgery. Uh, you know, then radiotherapy. Then I had another eight months of chemo mm. after that adjuvant chemo. It was just, it was so long and so brutal. And I was just like a shell of a human being by the end of it. And I didn't, I didn't know that breast cancer treatment would, would put me into early menopause. Mm. I didn't know everything that comes with that. I didn't know that I wouldn't be able to have HRT. I, there was so much that I didn't know. And, um, I think 
had I known all of that at the point of my diagnosis, it would have been a very different reaction. A different, I probably wouldn't have been so calm. Mm. So you've taken all of the things that you've learned along the way and some more besides because you've interviewed a whole bunch of different experts uh, and put it into the book. But, but sort of at what point did you decide to write the book and why did you decide to write the book? Um, so I didn't decide to write the book until probably after the first year. So I was diagnosed, like you say, in uh, my diagnosis was confirmed in January 2021. And throughout 2021, I wrote a column in the Sunday Times style um, that was kind of about my mm-hmm. cancer treatment following the journey. It was a column half written by me and half by my husband, Jonathan, who is a journalist at the Sunday Times. Ah, interesting. Um, so is, it, is that it, still available on online that if people yes. want to go back and have a look yes, at it, that? Yes, it's, it's all online. And it was actually amazing because it made me realise how little there is out there about the person who is the main support for the mm. person going through cancer treatment. Because, you know, Jonathan was, as you mentioned, we were in a lockdown. He was doing the homeschooling with our two kids and kind of dealing with all of that. And it's it's almost worse I mean, going through cancer treatment is horrible, but if there's one thing worse than it, it's watching someone you love go through cancer yeah. treatment. And, um, you know, I'd, I had 10 people a day asking how I was and nobody was really asking how he was. So I think it was really good for the column to kind of mm, show both a good sides. Outlet and, as well for, for both of you to kind of process some yeah. of what you were going through. Exactly, yeah. We got contacted by so many people saying, you know, thank you for kind of describing both sides of this experience because it is it is a lot um so I did that column for a year and then when that finished uh, then I had a, a conversation with my editor at HarperCollins who had been she had just returned to work after a year off with her own breast cancer diagnosis um so I went for a coffee with her and we talked about what kind of book we might do because she um had had bought that there existed lots of cancer books most of them are kind of memoirs or really kind of like sciencey books and what what didn't exist was a kind of warm relatable really practical guide that was when we talked about it we said we want it to be almost like one of those pregnancy books which is like this is what to expect at each stage of what you're going through and down to what to pack in your hospital bag. <laughs> not, so not onesies. <laughs> or maybe, I don't know, maybe grown up onesies. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, so I talked to her about it. And the great thing about that was she had had a totally different breast cancer diagnosis to me. So her cancer was hormone receptor positive. Mm-hmm. Mine was triple negative. She had different treatment to me she had a lumpectomy I had a mastectomy she didn't have chemo so writing the book with her as my editor was amazing because I was able to address you know things that I might not have thought of yeah she she was like what about blah 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 so um because breast cancer is it's not one disease it's all these different yeah we we don't necessarily realize that unless we might be in the trenches and so many different variants different treatments depending on that different outlook exactly yeah so many different ones and the the other really important thing that we wanted to address with the book was the experience of life after breast cancer treatment because 
that's the point at which your medical team kind of goes, okay, bye. <laughs> see <laughs> you. Like, Hopefully not see you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, hang on now. I've got to be like looking out for these signs of recurrence that are all very vague and nebulous. I've got osteoporosis. I've got bloody menopausal symptoms. I've, like No one's helping me with any of this help. So mm. we wanted to address all of that as well. Brilliant. So you, uh, you've already mentioned the fact that your treatment has put you into early menopause. Was there anything kind of through your treatment that kind of helped you understand that, prepare for it? Or did you really have to kind of go out and find, well, either find out the hard way, but also then find out, find more information about that yourself? Yes, I really had to do it by myself. So there was there was absolutely no Which information is really <laughs> when you think about what you you say i think in your uh, in the notes sort of 150 women a day are getting yeah. a diagnosis i don't know how many of those are subsequently going into early men- early menopause but yeah i don't have stats on that either i mean the majority of breast cancer cases are in postmenopausal women. It's mm. less common for women to be premenopausal. Perhaps that's why mm. there's there's so little information. But an interesting thing that I learned <laughs> from talking to all the doctors and oncologists and experts that I spoke to for the book is that even if you are postmenopausal when you have breast cancer treatment, it can bring back all the menopausal symptoms, like a second menopause. Oh, that's rubbish. <laughs> I know. That's annoying. I know. And if you're on HRT, then you'll be advised to come off it because yeah. of the, you know, because it could increase your risk of recurrence. Um, so you will have, you'll be dealing with all these symptoms as well. So there's a lot more support is needed for people going through this because there is nothing mm. offered. I mean, I guess it could be, hospital and doctor specific maybe some doctors are much more on it than mine was but you know I I had a great oncologist at a big hospital in central London it's you would expect them to be yeah kind of all over the latest information and all they told me was that my periods might stop after chemotherapy I went so my period my period stopped right away after the second round of chemo Mm. and then when I finished chemo I said to my oncologist so what happens now? Do, do you think my periods will come back or is that it now? And she said, to be honest, if you're under 40, then your periods might come back. If you're over 40, they're less likely to. And I was like, what about if you're exactly 40? 50-50. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She literally shrugged and I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. who knows? So um, yeah, so the the other thing is that so many menopausal symptoms are really, really similar to side effects of chemotherapy. So, you know, disentangling all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So chemo can actually cause and bring on, uh, you know, night sweats, fatigue, insomnia, loss of libido, uh, dry, like dry eyes, dry Mm. skin, joint pains, muscle aches, you know, brain fog, all of those things are side effects of chemotherapy so being plunged into menopause during chemo and then kind of emerging from chemotherapy but still being in menopause you're like what what is going on here what what yeah. of these what of these <laughs> symptoms are to do with chemo what could be early menopause um so yeah it's a lot of disentangling all of that which took it, it took some time definitely mm. and there's a lot um 
you know, we, we are hearing more and more in the mainstream media about menopause writ large, but certainly about HRT. And I think there is a little bit of, you know, we hear from, um, you know, from people who can't take HRT for whatever reason and sort of obviously yeah. um, hormone sensitive breast cancer is, is one of those reasons, you know, it is a bit like, well, what about me if I, if I mm-hmm. can't take it or that sort of fear that, through not taking it that they're you know they're then at at greater risk of some of those things like osteoporosis like cardiovascular disease I mean I know that the jury is out uh, about things like dementia for example but yeah that's clearly you know part of what you're trying to do in the book is is about that after (laughs) because hopefully your after is going to be years and decades and and so you know what are the things that you can do to to help yourself both sort of you know have that healthier um older age or long you know life post breast cancer but also you know about mitigating minimizing the risks of of recurrence um are there sort of key key things particularly that people might want to to focus on in terms of the sort of you know minimizing uh recurrence is it would you were secondary breast cancer is that what you'd call it Yes, exactly. Um, I should the first thing to th- I should say is you mentioned their hormone receptor positive mm-hmm. uh, breast cancer, um, and actually it's not just that type of breast cancer where you can't have HRT oh. because mine was triple negative, which has nothing to do with hormones, and um, and I I I thought exactly the same thing. Well, so that's why would HRT be a problem for me? So I asked my oncologist if I could have it, and she said no because cancer cells can mutate and change and she basically said if it comes back it might be the other type Uh. so she was I know I know that there are different views and I know that some women after breast cancer struggle so much with the menopausal Mm. symptoms that they think it's worth the risk to have HRT that's absolutely their choice uh in my case my oncologist was um she was quite firm that HRT was not an option for me um, it's been a case of kind of looking at each symptom, each menopausal symptom individually and kind of trying to deal with each symptom individually. Um, so in terms of osteoporosis, I did have, I had a bone scan after chemo and they said, you do have osteoporosis in your spine and it's, it's caused partly by chemotherapy and partly by the early menopause. Mm. Um, so I I now have these infusions called Zometa infusions, which is zoledronic acid. And I have that every six months for three years, which will hopefully strengthen my bones and also reduce the risk of cancer recurrence oh. in my bones. So yes, double Got benefit to one. that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So you do have to be postmenopausal to have that treatment. Mm-hmm. And um and I asked about it several times before I got to have it because they kept saying, well, your periods might come back after chemo. So you do have to, if you're premenopausal before cancer treatment, mm, you you might to have to keep pushing in order to get that. Um, so that's my advice on that. <laughs> uh, and in terms of, I suppose... There's sort of two questions there, one about recurrence mm. and one about the menopausal And, and I'm sure, symptoms. yeah, some of those things overlap in terms of, you know, kind of lifestyle tweaks just generally. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so in terms of recurrence, 
this this was one of the things that I was very naive about because I did think at the end of cancer treatment they would kind of say that's it you've got the all clear mm. you're done you're done with cancer treatment and I had an appointment with a, a surgical registrar who wasn't actually my normal surgeon and she was quite uh, quite quite matter of fact about this and she said you know your your diagnosis triple negative grade 3 stage 3 um, you didn't have a complete response to chemo before surgery. All of these factors added together mean your risk of recurrence is quite high. It's about 40%. So you just need to be extremely vigilant for signs mm. of cancer recurrence and they, elsewhere in your body. It wouldn't be a lump on the other breast. Cancer recurrence would be mm. elsewhere in the body. The most likely places are bones, brain, lungs, and liver. Um so she, so she, I mean, I don't know why I'm laughing. It's not at all funny, but it's, it's just so ridiculous. She was like, so the things you have to look out for are headaches, back pain, shoulder pain, any kind of pain in your neck because there's lymph nodes there, mm. uh, a cough, you know, if it's in your lung, a symptom could be a cough. Um, and I was like, oh, what about if it's in your liver? And she was like, yeah, there aren't really any symptoms of that. Maybe fatigue. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So I was like, you've got the list. <laughs> okay, so all the things that most people have on an almost daily basis, you know, stiff neck, yeah. ty- tiredness, bit of a headache. If I wasn't a core well, hypochondriac before, I certainly yeah. am now. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I I definitely had a period where I was like, how am I going to live my life without panicking about every kind of twinge and also the brain is incredibly weird and powerful if you start to worry about pain in your body it just gets worse so you know if you have a bit of shoulder pain you start to worry about it you become fixated on it and it gets worse and worse and worse Mm. and I did have one point at the end of last year where I was just completely convinced that I had cancer recurrence in my shoulder and I went for a I went for an MRI and a CT scan and bone scan they did all the scans and they were like it's not cancer recurrence and as soon as I got that information the pain went away (laughs) so it really was like once once I'd been through that I was like right this is as psychological as it is anything else so I'm gonna have to learn to manage the you know the kind of fear and anxiety which are also things that are exacerbated by the menopause (laughs) unfortunately yeah. and the stress that can exacerbate other other symptoms so it's, yeah. it's all this kind of big interconnection yeah. of of different things exactly exactly it's all interconnected and so the negative aspects are all interconnected in terms of fear and anxiety and depressive symptoms which can tie into all these things and can kind of lead to each other in this awful vicious circle the flip side to that is the positive things that you can do Mm. are also really interconnected so for instance exercise I know it's so boring people don't want to hear that you have to exercise (laughs) and also I was one of those people I was not an exerciser before I got cancer at all I I I just thought it was boring I didn't want to do it I thought it was for I thought people really exercised because of weight loss and I felt like I don't need to lose weight. So I don't, it's just, it's just not my thing. No, I'm just I'm, not. I'm evangelical about it now from a personal oh, perimenopause yeah. perspective. Yes. It must be really annoying for everyone else. It's like, yeah, same, same. I'm one of those really, really annoying people that's got into <laughs> it later in life. Cause I, I was always like, I don't want to be sweaty. I don't like, I don't, I just can't be bothered. It's just not my bag. And then especially while doing the research for this book, 
every single mm. element of the book when I was talking to people about um psychological health about menopausal symptoms about bone health about reducing your risk of recurrence about every single element of it the number one thing they said was exercise Mm. yeah and so many of them said if the benefits of exercise could be encapsulated into a pill it would be we'd all be taking it like mad it it would be hailed as an enormous breakthrough in cancer treatment Mm. it would be like on every front page but because it's so interesting because you can't like package it up and sell it people it it doesn't have it doesn't get that much attention Mm. so so yes science there's lots and lots hundreds of studies have shown that exercise can reduce the risk of breast cancer recurrence by anywhere between 30 and 60 percent wow depending on which study you read that's that's Um, huge isn't it i mean you probably couldn't take something like you say that that a drug that would make that much difference yeah yeah exactly so it's so important and obviously exercise is very good for your mental health so if you're feeling lots of fear and anxiety exercise helps dissipate that you know the cortisol mm. and your other stress hormones and it helps yeah. calm you helps down sleep better <laughs> helps you sleep better and then obviously if you have better sleep that helps with mood and it helps you make better choices with, about what you eat and it does all those positive things mm. really really feed into each other and I did I interviewed one doctor uh for the book and I was asking about testosterone and I was like okay I know I can't have HRT and I know I shouldn't have estrogen because it can increase my risk of recurrence but what about testosterone I keep reading about it (laughs) and um you know, I, I would like my I would like my libido to be to be what it once was. And this doctor that I spoke to was like look, there just isn't, there just isn't the research to show that testosterone is safe to take on its own, Mm. like without progesterone. And it's just, it's not normal for the human body to to have that. Um, But she was like, people don't, they want to take a pill because it's easier, but exercise, specifically strength training, anything that kind of strengthens your muscles, Mm. increases the amount of testosterone in your body. So um, even, even that even the libido mm. symptoms of menopause can be improved by exercise. So it is, it is literally every, every single thing is improved by exercise. And I, like you, am now one of those very annoying yeah. evangelical <laughs> people. About it. <laughs> yeah, I'm know. sorry. I'm sorry if you're listening and you're forced to hear me witter on about it on Instagram or yeah. constantly. Um, so you, you've talked a little bit about the sort of psychological uh, side of sort of post-treatment, but while you were going through the treatment itself, were the sort of the hardest parts, the sort of physical experience or the sort of the mental experience that you were going through? Well, again, they're kind of interlinked. Mm. So I suppose the physical experience of chemo is I mean the fatigue is just unreal Mm. it's like it's like the early months of pregnancy where you you just like want to go to bed at eight o'clock every night (laughs) it's like that but even worse it's like can't get can't physically get your body out of bed kind of fatigue Mm. um so it's that but also the effects on your skin and your like the mouth ulcers just make it difficult Mm. to eat or talk or do anything the dryness and obviously losing your hair not just from your head but your eyelashes and eyebrows and 
those physical effects really manifest into psychological symptoms as well because then Mm. you know looking in the mirror is just a really depressing experience don't recognize yourself it's like who is this person that's not me exactly and if you've been the kind of person like like I would say probably most women are who are juggling a lot of different things and really really busy and you know Mm. big job and looking after kids and so much stuff going on to all of a sudden not be able to kind of keep up with your kids as they run along the road to school or to um I don't know just just feel like you you can't do all the things that Mm. you could do it's just really 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 hard it's psychologically very difficult to overcome and so much of our worth is tied up in that sort of productivity and and that busyness and that that your kind of job and your identity exactly suddenly yeah you are just sort of you're you're just just in inverted commas you know (laughs) a a cancer patient going through chemo it's like that's all you can do to kind of get through is like focus in on this this one thing I know. And you should be able to just say, okay, I'm literally having chemo right now. I don't have to do anything else. Yeah. But it's like crazy how hard that is. You just feel really lazy and just like you're letting people down all over the place. And mm-hmm. and also, I'm like, I'm sure other people don't feel like that. People wouldn't expect you to be doing what you were before, but you can't help feeling like that inside. And also I say other people wouldn't expect you to, but you do still have... Um, you know, I remember going out for dinner during chemo and having friends be like, go on, have a glass of wine. And I'd be like, I'm, 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 I'm in chemo. I'm really trying not to drink. Like, I'm having chemo tomorrow. I've got to pass my neutrophil test in order to have the chemo. Like, I don't want to... Yeah, I don't, not, I don't, don't just turn it off when I leave the <laughs> yeah. house. And like, yeah. 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 I mean, there is still... I think I do think pregnancy is the only time in a person's life when you're not actually pressured into drinking. <laughs> Even even chemo, but it still happens. Mm. So how long are you sort of post sort of the end of your treatment now? Well, I am officially two years cancer free now. <laughs> yeah, yay. Um so it's not actually two years since the end of my treatment, but it's two years since my mastectomy. Mm-hmm. And that the the surgery date is the date from which they say uh you know can, the, that, the that's your cancer-free anniversary yeah so all the treatment I've had since then has been to reduce the risk of recurrence so all right. the radiotherapy and the extra months of adjuvant chemo that was all of that went on for like another year mm. after surgery so I'm, I'm about a year out of treatment and two mm. years cancer-free yeah and how do you I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming there, there must be days where you can, you know, go a day or a few days or whatever without thinking about it. How do you find it? Do you find that as more time goes on? I would say the first, so if I'm now two years cancer free, the first year of that, I was still in treatment because I was having radiotherapy and then chemo. Mm. And also at that point, I hadn't yet had that conversation with the surgical registrar where she said, you know, you have to be very vigilant for signs of recurrence. So during that year, I was still coping with treatment and finding it really hard, but I felt like the end was nearly in sight. The year after that, when treatment had finished and I knew my risk of recurrence was comparatively high, that I'd say that was kind of the hardest, the hardest year, really. 
And now having, now that I'm two years cancer free, which is really recently, that's only last week <laughs> that it's two years. Um, that's been a really big turning point for me. I've just been like walking on air this week <laughs> because I, w- I went to go and see my oncologist and quite often throughout cancer treatment, I'd go to see my oncologist and I'd be like, oh, I've heard somebody say such and such can reduce my risk of recurrence. Is that right? Or I've heard somebody say, so, and I would like tell her things I'd seen on the internet or I'd heard people say, and nine times out of 10, she's like, <laughs> no, 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 come on, no. That's mushrooms are not going to cure your cancer. No, no. She's very matter of fact. But when I went to go and see her a couple of weeks ago, I was like, so I've heard two years after surgery is a really, really mm. important milestone. And my risk of recurrence is drops off after that. Is that right? And she was like, yes, oh, that is, that is, well, that news. is correct. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And she, I think, I mean, every case of breast cancer is different. In my case, because my cancer was particularly aggressive, she said if it was going to come back, it would happen quickly. Mm. So the fact that it hasn't after two years is a really, really good sign. I think five years is when you can really yeah, relax breathe, out, breathe out. <laughs> yeah, Five years is the real turning point. But I think two years is a good milestone. And uh, I do feel a lot better having hit that milestone. I will feel even better when I hit five years I'll probably have a party then excellent good stuff did you find, did you also find the process of researching writing the book quite sort of therapeutic and healing yeah I mean the first part of the book is really kind of a guide to treatment and chemo surgery radiotherapy hormone treatments targeted treatments all of that and going into all of that and kind of reliving my own experience I did find that quite hard that was there was definitely a point where I was like why did I agree to do this it's like (laughs) just want to forget about it (laughs) it's reliving my trauma but um the second part of the book is all about it's partly about um how to kind of rebuild yourself after the end of treatment of um the end of treatment for a, a primary breast cancer diagnosis. Mm. Um, so psychologically, as well as physically, just kind of getting back on your feet and all of the things that you can do to manage that fear and anxiety and improve your mood and improve those menopausal symptoms. And also there's a whole section on, uh, I call it future-proofing your body. So it's about reducing your risk of recurrence. Mm-hmm. I have have to be clear, of course, that there is no silver bullet no. and you can... You can't say about anything, do this and it will stop your cancer coming back because there are just too many factors. Nobody really knows why it happens. You could do everything perfectly and still get cancer. Mm. But there is lots of evidence that there are plenty of things you can do to reduce your risk. So nobody can wipe out their entire risk of recurrence, but you can reduce it by quite a lot. So I look into all the ways that you can do that. And also, you know, all of those things, maybe not all of those things, but as a collectively are going to be beneficial from the point of view of lots of other things like reducing cardiovascular disease risk. and Exactly. Exactly. So writing that part of the book, I really enjoyed because it felt really positive and optimistic and I really felt like it was going to help people. And I, I really, I really felt good about the fact that if I'd had this to read during my diagnosis, it would make me feel 
Mm. more more optimistic and positive and that's that's really what I wanted to do with it and like you say you can't ever say this will 100% ensure that you don't get cancer again but not only will it reduce your risk of that which is really really important but also if the cancer does come back if you're in good physical health you'll be much better able to cope with treatment you'll be Mm, more resilient generally yeah exactly and also it reduces your risk of heart disease, diabetes, dementia, like all these kind of lifestyle steps will just hopefully keep you living well for longer overall. So perfect place to to wrap it up, but it remains a sobering statistic that one in seven women in the UK will get a breast cancer diagnosis in their lifetime. So if you're listening and that's you or your best friend or someone that you know well, we're sending you all the love and I absolutely wholeheartedly recommend reconstruction whether that's for you or for your friend go out and buy them a copy might be a whole lot better than a bunch of flowers or a bottle of wine (laughs) which they won't be able to drink um but yeah congratulations it really is a fantastic book and um, yeah thank you so much for coming on to chat to us thank you so much you've been listening to the middling along podcast do remember to subscribe to be notified when our next episode is live and why not visit the blog at www.middlingalong.com to sign up to my newsletter as well i do hope you enjoyed listening today if you did i'd be really grateful if you would consider leaving a short review as that helps people find the podcast and helps get it noticed hope you can join us next time goodbye for now